All right, so I'm Mikey. I'm one of the residents What's here. Your last name? Lamar. The big Lamar. Um, so yeah, so we've been going through Second Timothy, so we're going to stay there um, today. We're going to be in Second Timothy three one through nine. Um, I think we have a slide for it, so we can read from. And so this is Second Timothy, and in First Timothy, um, one of the things that Paul was writing to Timothy about was going to Ephesus, which was a church or the church in Ephesus was one that Paul had planted himself. Um, and he had heard that there had been false teachers rising up in Ephesus. So in 1 Timothy, one of the things he tells Timothy is to go to Ephesus to oppose those false teachers there. Um, so here in 2 Timothy, Paul's kind of expanding on that and explaining how to approach this opposing of the false teachers. Um, and so that's what this is about. Um, but I'll read it right now. If you want to follow along, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambers opposed Mo Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And so there are three things I really want us to look at in this uh, passage that I think we can take away from what Paul's saying. Uh, so the first thing, uh, would be first how Paul, Tim how Paul tells Timothy to, to identify the false teachers, um, and then secondly, how Paul tells him to handle or to respond to the false teachers, and then lastly, why, these, why this matters um, and why it's relevant to us. So first thing, uh, Paul talks about um, how to identify false teachers. Um, so most of these things that I'm going to talk about, because with false teachers, a lot of times, it's harder to perceive it when they're up on the pulpit preaching, so it's more easily identifiable um, when you're observing their life, when you're walking with them. But there are patterns you can recognize in their preaching um, at the same time. Uh, so this is kind of, yeah, to recognize it both in their preaching and then more so in their lives as they live out their daily lives. Um, so the first thing Paul talks about to recognize them is what they say. Um, so in James 3, James talks about controlling the tongue and why it is so important for us as Christians to control our tongue and how the tongue can shape kind of our lives and um, a lot that comes from us. And so when Paul talks about them, he says they're proud, arrogant, swollen with conceit. Um, I think in the way that can kind of reflect itself in their words is they boast about themselves, they're always talking themselves up. Um, you know, making themselves look good. They talk about themselves excessively. So when they're talking, a lot of times they're, you know, pointing the attention to themselves, talking about, like, their good deeds, their good things. Um, and another thing, they'll never say that they're wrong. So they're very prideful in that way that their words just kind of talk about how they, um, yeah, they're not, they're not willing to admit that they're wrong. They're just going to talk about the things they do right. Um, so that's how they... Uh, speak about themselves. Second thing would be how they speak to others. And so some of the words that I think were relevant to that is when Paul says they're abusive, they're slanderous, 
they're without self-control, they're reckless um, in their words. And so that can look like they talk to others as if the others are below them. Um, they speak down to people. They make people feel smaller. Um, they make themselves feel bigger uh, in return. Um, they say whatever comes to their mind, no matter how it will affect the person. So they don't choose their words wisely. They kind of will just say what comes to their mind and not really think about how that affects the other people. Um, and they put others down to make, them, or to, to make themselves look better or to build themselves up. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen that a lot, but, um, and there's more than just those three things, but those are three things I was kind of wanting to highlight. Um, and so that's how they speak to others. And then the last thing would be how they speak about others. And so it's kind of the same words just applied to speaking about others instead of to others. So abusive, slanderous, without self-control, and reckless. Um, and so they, they talk about others negatively behind their back. That can be gossiping about others. That can be... Um, perpetrating lies about other people or putting other people in a negative light as they talk about them. Um, and so I think something, like an example that kind of came to my mind as I thought about someone who's like this, because it's kind of like, don't want to put anybody in like a negative light that we actually know. So I thought of Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. If you all have seen Beauty and the Beast, um, there's literally a song in that movie called Gaston where he just sings about how great he is. Um, and you see throughout the movie, he's He's boasting about himself, talking about how great he is, um, talking about just how bad the people around him are. He like makes fun of Belle's dad. He's always putting his sidekick guy, whatever, down, um, speaking down to him. And yeah, I think that's kind of like an exaggerated example, granted, but just an example of how um, people can act when they're not filled up by the Spirit, when they're not um, walking in truth with God's Word. Um, so that's the first thing, that's what they say. Secondly, a way to recognize them is what they do. Um, and so there are many, like, Paul uses all those descriptive words um, just describing what they're like, but he uses one specific example um, of how, of like how they take advantage of other people that I'm going to focus in on. Um, so he gives it in verse 6. And I think... I think Paul uses this idea of taking advantage of other people because when you're in a position of power, it can be pretty easy to take advantage of other people. A lot of times people will look up to you. People will think highly of you. People will, you know, want to be in your good graces. Um, and so that can be something that, or that'll be something that a lot of the false teachers will do. Um, an example for this one that came to mind was in the movie Tangled, if you all have seen that. We're rocking with the Disney, uh, examples, but, you know, the, the mom entangled, um, she takes advantage of uh, Rapunzel, and so Rapunzel has a hair that can, like, make you younger or whatever, and so the, the fake mom, she kind of stands in as her mom pretending to care about her, but ultimately she's just taking advantage of Rapunzel for her own good, for her own, um, you know, health or prosperity, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's kind of along the lines of what the of what Paul is getting at here is that these false teachers, they use their position, they use their power, they use their influence to take advantage of weaker people who don't necessarily know any better, who are naive, for lack of a better term. Um, and so, granted, false teachers probably won't be as blatant as like a Disney villain, obviously. Um, but I think if you're, if you're observing someone who is a false teacher for long enough, 
um, some of these patterns or some of these qualities are, will reveal themselves over time. Um, and that points to a larger issue of character in that teacher. Um, and so that's what they say, that's what they do. And lastly, Paul talks about what the false teachers love. And I think what they love is really the root of what they say and what they do. Um, because what you love will often shape what you say and what you do. Um, and so when you look at the list, this is why Paul starts by saying they love self, they love pleasure, and then he ends by saying um, they are lovers. Uh, at the end, he says they're not lovers of God. Um, and so I think this is important because if we look at what the greatest commandment is, the greatest commandment, we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind um, and strength. And so the reason that's the first and greatest command is because every other command just kind of proceeds from that command of loving God first. So as we love God, or we obey God out of our love for him, um, and so when we obey his other commands, we're ultimately showing, we're ultimately doing that because we first love God, and then we love him, so we want to follow his commands. Um, and so when we look at false teachers, there's a contrast here because people can do the works of God. Um, they can, or at least outwardly, look as if they are doing what God is calling them to do, and that's one of the things Paul talks about, like they have the outward appearance of godliness. Um, but at its heart, it is not motivated by love for God. Um, Paul says it's motivated by a love of self, a love of money, a love of pleasure, um, which God does see, you know, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, so God sees this, but ultimately, those works are not God-glorifying because they're not done out of a love for God. They're done out of trying to uh, promote themselves or trying to gain financially or trying to just, you know, get their own pleasure um, through these outward works. It's not rooted in God. Um, and I think this is relevant to what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I think we have it on the screen, but he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So then Paul goes on to explain in verses 4 through the end of the chapter what a true or what a genuine and true love for God is. Um, but what he's saying here in these verses is you could have all the gifts, all the, all the preaching abilities, all the teaching abilities, like whatever you want to say um, as far as gifts go. But if you don't first have a love, if that's not rooted in love, first for God and then for others, then it's, it's pretty useless. Um, you're a noisy gong or a cleaning symbol. You're, um, he says, if I have not love, I am nothing. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind about these false teachers that as they don't, as their works and their, um, yeah, and their speech don't proceed from a love of God, um, they're, they're useless. Like they're not, they're not, they don't, they're not helpful for building others up for the kingdom or to drawing others closer to God. Um, and so I think as we observe these false teachers, as we can, um, kind of test their works, test their heart um, through observation, through 
if you're close to them, like living life with them, um, you can see how their works and their, their words do not proceed from a love of God and don't result in uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, so that's first. That's how Paul tells us to recognize false teachers. Um, secondly, Paul tells Timothy how to handle false teachers or how to respond to them. And so he doesn't say much about this, but he says two things. He says, have nothing to do with them and avoid them, which can also be translated, turn away from them. Um, so that seems pretty extreme, but yeah, I'll dive into that a little more. Um, so just a precursor for these things. Since Paul doesn't expand on them, um, these are more from me as I uh, just kind of like uh, translate, or not translate, but just like interpret the scripture. Um, so I would advise you to do these things through lots of prayer, through the testing of scripture, and through the counsel of other believers around you. Um, but yeah, so firstly, avoiding them or having nothing to do with them, I think would look like not letting them lead in your church or organization. Um, and so what that looks like is if you're in a church or an organization where you have recognized that someone's teaching is not, is not faithful to Scripture, is not faithful to God's Word. Um, I think we can co- consult others around us, uh, specifically others in that church or organization who are believers, who um, adhere to the truth, who are faithful in their walk. Um, and then you can come to the teacher and lovingly correct them. So at the end of chapter 2, what Wash preached on last week, kind of talks about that. And we'll come back to that later. But... Um, the first course of action is to correct them. And then if they do not respond to that correction, you and those with, with you will need to take that person out of a leadership position. Um, because if they're, if they're not preaching faithfully, then they're going to be ultimately harming the body. They're going to be ultimately harming your church or organization. And so because of that, they need to be removed from that position. Um, and this, can be done, this too should be done lovingly, but firmly for the good of the, um, for the body. Um, and that kind of leads into, you could be in a position where you're in a church or, or, an, or, or an organization where um, you recognize the teacher to be a false teacher, but um, those around you do not, or those around you do not want to remove the person from uh, leadership or from that position. And so in that situation, Again, with prayer, with testing the scripture, with consulting fellow believers, possibly outside the organization. Um, I think we're called to leave that situation, to leave that organization. Um, and this can be hard to do because there can be a lot of things drawing to you that uh, church or organization. There could be like, you could have family there, you could have a lot of friends there, you could love the worship there, whatever it may be. Um, but I think. Scripture is pretty clear that when something causes us to sin or pulls us into sin, we are called to to turn from that, to avoid that, to, as Paul is saying, um, have nothing to do with it. And so, I think one, I've thought about it this way. If you're trying to get to Panama City Beach, if you're going to the Florida trip, but you get on a bus going to, like, California, you're going to have to get off that bus in order to get to Panama City, right? And so if you're on the California bus, you may like the people on it. You may like the vibe of the bus. I mean, they're, I don't know, playing Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Um, 
You may even like the driver who's leading the group, but ultimately it's not taking you where you need to or want to go. Because if you're trying to get to Florida and you're going to California, that's not where you need to go or where you want to go. And so you're going to have to get off that bus and get on the bus that's going to Florida that's taking you where you need to and want to go. Um, and so likewise, when you're in a church or an organization led by someone who's teaching unfaithfully, it's almost certainly not going to take you where you need to go or where you want to go in terms of your faith, in terms of your spiritual health. And so, like the bus, we have to get off. We have to remove ourselves from that place, that situation, um, in order to get in a place that will help us go where we want to go or where we need to go spiritually. Um, And so, that's kind of how Paul talks about addressing them. But with that, however, I, I want to make a distinction between what Paul is saying here um, when he says, have nothing to do with them and to avoid them. I think for me this can be hard because when I see it, or when I recognize a false teacher, like I want to reject them, I want to be angry at them. But I, I don't think this, what Paul is saying, that we should, like, we should stop loving them. Um, I think we should ter- turn from them as teachers, but not turn from them as people. Um, and, and going back to the end of Second Timothy in the last two verses, um, I don't know if I put those on the slides, but uh, it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so I think what we can see in that is just like us, just like any of us in this room, false teachers are sinners. Um, and while their sin, I think their sin is a lot of times much more visible than ours might be um, because they're pre- preaching from a stage and they're, you know, leading a congregation. So it's easier to see their, their sin. Um, but I think at the same time, that doesn't make them any less worthy of our love. Uh, I think a good comparison is when you look at the prodigal son in Luke 15. The, the, the younger son takes all his wealth and he goes off to a foreign land and he's you know, living not according to scripture at all, not according to how God calls us to live. But when he comes back, the father welcomes him back and receives him back with love and with, with joy and with grace. And um, I think as we look at that, we can, see, we can assume the father never stopped loving the son, even while he was wandering. Um, if he had, he wouldn't have received him back as he did. Um, and so with false teachers, I think it's very easy to become bitter and to become frustrated at them. But as God continues to love us when we wander, he continues to love false teachers when, we, when they wander. And so we as, as um, Christians, as sons of God and daughters of God, can continue to love those who are lost, including false teachers, even while they are still wandering. Um, And ultimately, we can trust that God will bring back who he wants to bring back to him um, and has the power to do that with anyone. Um, And so, yeah. um, At the same time, there there is a tension here because we love the false teacher, but we don't stand for the false teaching um, because of the the implications of false teaching uh, can be pretty detrimental to the body. Um, 
And so that kind of leads into my last point about why this whole thing matters. And so false teachers can very easily lead others astray. Teaching is meant to build, build others up in their relationship with Christ, um, whether that's helping someone to come to know God for the first time or helping others to know God more who already have received him as their Lord and Savior. And so when a teacher doesn't, or just teachers in general often shape kind of our view of God, or at least help shape in part how we view God. And so when we're being taught by someone who's not teaching faithfully according to, the, to Scripture, we can start to see how our, our view of God is shaped incorrectly. Um, they can lead people under, or false teachers can lead, you know, their flock or their congregation, whatever you want to call it. They can lead them to think that God is like a reciprocal God, where if we do good, he gives us good back. Or that he's some distant God who's just far off in heaven, not close to us, like he doesn't draw near to his people. Or we can be led to, le- to believe that, um, we can be led to believe that he's constantly disappointed with us, and that he's, he's up there with his arms crossed looking down on us, um, frustrated how we continually disobey his commands. Um, and so, like, if you're taught that and you start to believe that, you think you know God, but in reality you don't truly know him or his character. Um, and that can be a very dangerous thing, because if you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus and have a genuine faith, um, and then you're exposed to false teaching, that can steal so much of our joy. Um, it can steal so much of our, of our comfort, of our peace, of our hope, of all the things that come from genuinely knowing God and knowing who he is. Um, it can steal that because we think of him in this other way that he is not, and so we're not able to experience him fully or as fully as we would if we did know the, um, more the truth about who he is. Um, and in another, in another sense, um, if someone comes to faith according to a false teacher, I'm not saying always, but this can happen to where the God that they believe in, the God that they've accepted, um, is not the God according to Scripture, is not the true God, is not Christ, who's the Son of God, who's fully man, fully, fully God at the same time. Um, and that can lead to a false faith which is not genuine or saving, which is honestly really scary and like kind of tough to think about it, but that's kind of the weight or the gravity that, and the influence that comes with false teaching. Um, and so as false teachers teach, there is, you know, there's, there's a heavy weight to their words, there's a heavy weight to their actions and how they lead their flock. Um, this is why James says in James 3.1, I think I have this. Uh, but he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think that's James just highlighting how those who teach, they have such a major effect on others' relationships with God. Um, and that's a big responsibility. And it also highlights why it's so important to preach the word of God as faithfully as we can, as faithfully as we are able to. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, that kind of sounds discouraging to a, to a degree, I think, because it's like, oh, wow, now I never want to preach because that's, there's so much pressure. But I want to end with some encouragement for y'all. 
because that pressure, that fear is not what we're ever called to, fe- to feel or to, that's not what we should feel about, um, yeah, about teaching. Because I'm sure at some point down the road, a lot of you are going to be in positions to either share the gospel with your friends or lead a Bible study or even like teach on stage like this. Um, so yeah, so if we keep reading in James 3, I think I can't remember if I have this verse. Anyways, <laughs> James 3, 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So we read that and we think, none of us are perfect like this. None of us are going to say the right thing, the perfect thing when we teach. Um, none of us are going to say the right things at all times in general. Um, but there, there is one who did. I'm sure you all know where I'm going with this, but Jesus... Jesus lived the perfect life. Everything he did perfectly in his life, and that includes his teaching as he taught, um, the disciples as he taught, the crowds as he taught, even the Pharisees and the people who rejected him. He did that perfectly. Um, And so when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's the great exchange. Our sins go to him, and his perfection comes to us, and our record with God is then seen as perfect. And so that includes his teaching. And so we're not perfect teachers, but God looks at us as if we were. And so when we go and teach and we, we don't say the right things, there's grace and forgiveness because Jesus has already done it perfectly on our behalf. Um, and so with that, Christ has done it perfectly on our behalf, but also God is able to use us to do his will. Um, one, a verse that came to mind with this was Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one. Says the horse is made ready for for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Um, And so we know God more, or we know God and love Him more by talking with Him, praying. We we study His Word. We commune with other believers, and so as we do this, we prepare ourselves to to share His Word, to share the gospel, to teach about um, the things we've learned to others. And I think that's where the horse is made ready for battle on our end. But ultimately, we know that our words, our teaching, it's never going to change the hearts of others. The results are in God's hands. That's why the verse says the victory belongs to the Lord. Um, Because Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so as we teach, as we share the gospel, um, we can be confident, um, not in our own works, but in God's work, God's ability to work through us. Um, so we prepare, we do, we are diligent in our studies. We do draw near to God and learn more about him and study um, and prepare for teaching in a, in a um, setting. But ultimately we trust in God and knowing that he's, he's all powerful, he's sovereign, and he's the one who's gonna change the hearts of, of others. You know, we can't change others' hearts, but he can. Um, and so I think that's kind of what, what the hope is. It's not, it's not in ourselves. It's not in our abilities. It's not even in our preparation or how hard we work. It's ultimately in God that his will will be done, that he will use us as we are faithfully um, striving to do his will. Um, and so, yeah, as we go from here, we can go confidently and boldly trusting God's power to work and move in and through us. Um, 
relying on God and not ourselves as we go. Uh, and then we can be wary of false teachers as we ourselves strive to be faithful teachers of the word, adhering to scripture, adhering to um, wise counsel, adhering to prayer. Um, but yeah, so pray with me. Uh, God, I thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for just the opportunity to get up here and teach. Um, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and discernment and uh, being able to identify false teachers. We would adhere to your word in this, that we would um, heed the wisdom of wise counsel in this, um, that we would act boldly from what, you, what we feel you're leading us to do or where you lead us to go. I pray that as we go and we um, share your word to others, that we would know the pressure's not on us, God. Jesus, that you already did this perfectly for us, that your righteousness covers us, um, and so we have the freedom to go and teach your word faithfully, knowing that, God, you will bring whoever you want to you. You will use our teaching or our sharing of your word and however you want it to be used. Um, and God, you are good and you're faithful, and we can trust, trust you and how you move. Um, we love you, Lord. We pray that you would just be with us this week, draw us closer to you this week, um, and keep our eyes fixed on you. So you know my prayer. Amen.